This is a test. For the next 60 seconds, this station will conduct a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. The following program is intended for mature audiences. You can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious! That ball was on the line! Chalk flew up! Hey, tennis fans. Welcome to This Week in Tennis. My name is Phil Nasons, and I'm the co-host of this weekly radio show. I say co-host because most of the time, Craig Doyle joins me, and he's on the line from Scotland. Craig, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. I'm doing very well, Phil. Uh, a little busy this week, uh, aren't we all? But uh, it's great to be here once again for This Week in Tennis. It sure is. Uh, boy, we got a lot to talk about today. Fed Cup. And we have some allegations of doping, and when I read the article, I kind of laughed because you'd have to be living under a rock to believe that that doesn't occur. <laughs> and we'll talk about a couple of Italian tennis players. We talked about them before, Craig, who now have been suspended for 40 days. It's amazing. Let's start with Fed Cup. Most noticeably, the Czech Republic dominated Canada and noticeably absent was Eugenie Bouchard. What in the world? Why Why didn't she play? I have to admit, I've not been following the, the story too closely on Eugenie Bouchard. However, there are a lot of incidents in her relatively young career at the moment. She's changed coach. She's also found that... Uh, Maybe a little bit of hostilities in in the switcher coach, given that she's picked up a, a coach who's worked with someone else who's still on the tour who who did very well under that coach. Um, you know, this Fed Cup competition is also not attractive to some of these um, the, these young ladies, especially you know these fresh ladies on the tour. Sometimes they don't want to play Fed Cup. Sometimes they want to go out and. Uh, be in there in the big tournaments, earning the money while they can and. Jeannie Bouchard, maybe she thought it was uh, a, a better option to take the time to prepare for upcoming tournaments, make herself a little bit of cash. Um, she's fresh on the scene. This is her second season up there in the rankings. So, you know, that may have been her choice. Um, it, it didn't bode well for Canada, losing 4-0, but it is what it is, I guess. Well, I doubt it was uh, Canada's choice. I mean, <laughs> who wouldn't want the number six or seven player in the world playing for them, especially a country that is starved for uh, tennis notoriety? It's a shame that she didn't play, but, you know, a lot of guys do the same things. So it is what it is. But Czech, the Czech Republic 4-0 crush over Canada in the world group. You'd think that there'd be opportunities there to make money too, but apparently not. Russia, another one that served up a bagel over Poland. Maria Sharapova did show up. She was 2-0. She did some crushing. You know, I thought this would be closer. I thought the Red Wanska twins would uh, handle their business a little better, but they didn't. And, well, it is what it is. Svetlana Kunitsova was also out there. She had a tough one with Aggie Radwanska. But it is what it is. Russia moves on in the world group, Craig. 4-0 over Poland. Well, I think 
when we saw that Sharapova was playing, that we kind of made Russia favorites. She doesn't always play, but I believe, I don't know if it's the same for Fed Cup, but uh, Davis Cup this year with the men, you need to play this year if you want to be considered for Olympic selection in Rio next year. So perhaps that has played into it a little bit for Sharapova, um, enticing her into joining the fold for Russia. She, she's really playing well at the moment, Sharapova. I know she didn't win the Australian Open, but uh, you, you just look at those results in the Fed Cup. She beat the younger Radwanska sister, 0-3. Then she beat Agnieszka Radwanska, ranked 8 in the world, uh, 6-1-7-5. That, that's top play from Sharapova. She's established herself as one of the top players on tour. Uh, nice to see her out there playing Fed Cup. And it was a big win for Russia because Kuznetsova, um, I guess we can call her a veteran of the game, um, she put in a great performance against Agnieszka Radvanska in the first day as well, winning in three sets. So it's uh, looking promising for Russia, assuming that Sharapova continues to play. Oh, yes, it is. And finally, uh, Germany defeated Australia. But I got to tell you, that opening match was interesting. Angeliki Kerber, someone we've heard her name before on the show, is someone who might one day win a Grand Slam. Or maybe that's been recanted, I hope. But she started out pretty sluggish, and then they just turned on the gas and knocked them out. Julia Georges played doubles. She didn't even play singles. Sam Stoser showed up, though. Sam Stoser's been in the uh, in the news too. Rumors about her using performance enhancing drugs are out there too, Craig. So it is what it is. But boy, Germany pelted Australia. Yeah, you know, just we'll start with the Kerber thing, and um, I think I clarified on the show a few weeks back that Kerber, you know, maybe she had to do it last year. She just looks like she's out of gas a bit at the minute. She's not hitting the ball well. She is still Germany's top-ranked player at the moment. I think that's uh, a matter of time until that's overturned. But she led the line, and she did not have a good game against Gajasova in the opening rubber. However, one young lady who is playing very well, and she is now injury-free, at least for the moment, is Andrea Petkovic. She's actually won the tournament in Antwerp this week. Big uh, tournament there. So that's a massive boost for her. She's playing some great tennis. And I think we could look forward to seeing a lot more out of Petkovic this year. Uh, Kerber did eventually get a win later in the the tie against Stozer. I have to admit, this was a lot closer than I thought. Um, they played all five rubbers. Both of Petkovic's matches against Stozer and Gajasova, they both went three sets and more. Uh, eventually winning 12-10 against Stoza, 8-6 against Gajasova. So that was some really good battling from Petkovic to uh, to win both of those matches. I always think Germany has quite a strong uh, Fed Cup lineup. They've got uh, Sabine Lazicki in there. She's not even getting to play singles. They have Julia Gorges in there, who you touched on. She's not getting to play singles. Uh, they have a good little batch of women there, all sort of in the top 50 who could potentially step in. Um, you know, it, it says that Germany is doing quite a lot right in women's tennis. So it'll be interesting to see how they go in the next round. 
It will be interesting, that's for sure. And then the final match we're going to talk about a little bit because it's going to be a great segue into what we're going to talk about next. France defeated Italy 3-2. This was a lively little matchup. It was interesting because uh, Sarah Irani and Camille or Camilla Giorgi, you would think on paper, would have cleaned up, and they did on opening day. And then all of a sudden, France came back and defeated Italy 3-2. to two. The doubles mattered, and yowza, they took care of business, didn't they? They did, and, you know, as you said, certainly after they won, Italy were huge favorites because if you look at that Italian doubles team of Serie Arani and Roberto Vinci, they are either the number one or number two doubles team in the world. They've won all the Grand Slams, uh, you, you name it, they've won it. So for them to lose heavily on the uh, final day against, you know, a relatively new pairing of Caroline Garcia and uh, Christina Mladenovic, that was a huge shock. In fact, I believe even on the uh, in the singles rubbers, Camilla Georgi was a set up on Caroline Garcia before losing Love in two in sets two and three, which is a really, really strange result. Um, of course, this was the closest of the ties. France winning three two, um, and there was also some some British interest because of um, Miss Moresmo's involvement with the French Fed Cup team. In fact, I actually picked up on Twitter that Andy Murray wasn't too happy with the court surfaces. Uh, something that I'm sure will endear him to fans when he turns up in Rome for the uh, Rome Masters in about a month's time. Yeah, he's always spreading goodwill, isn't he? Uh, but I got to tell you, this is uh, Hoot. She made a great move, though. Miladinovic ended up playing in the uh, or replacing Elise, Elise Cornet, and that was the difference in the whole shooting match. And that was a great coaching move. A gamble, really. But that's what you have to do sometimes in Fed Cup and in Davis Cup is gamble. And Amelie gambled and won. And speaking of gambling, I you know, I don't know which tone I want to go with first. Do you want to talk about uh, the doping first or do you want to talk about the suspension first? Uh, let's go suspension first since we're on the gambling thing. Absolutely. Um, uh, Bracciali and uh, Staracci... Two Italians we talked about earlier this year, Daniela Bracciali and Putito Staracci, got suspended by the Italian Tennis Federation for 40 days. Supposedly now, here's the deal, supposedly, and this is the interesting part, Craig, is supposedly Staracci threw a match and, oppose, and, and supposedly, he he stated that he was going to uh, give away a tournament. And supposedly, <laughs> he did. And Pablo Andahar won the Casablanca Challenger, I believe. And this was an interesting thing because he said he, <clears throat> excuse me, he said he's going to sell the tournament. And they got 40 days for selling a tournament. And obviously, the uh, charges must have stuck because they wouldn't have been suspended. And it's kind of wild, really. 
when you think about the opportunities that these kids may have to throw matches and throw their careers away. But 40 days, Craig, they should have been suspended for life. Well, you would think so. Um, the, the Casablanca event is actually a low-level tour event, so it's a well-televised event. Uh, I can remember this match being played, and I can remember afterwards there was a lot of talk about betting patterns and, you know, all the sort of things that they look into when there's a suspect that these match-fixing processes are going on. And uh, the match was very, very well publicized. It was getting a lot of press. Um, I'm no expert on this. I, I, you know, I, I couldn't go into the details and pick pick away the finer pieces of this and say um, Petito Storacci was fixing a match or whatever. I, I'm no expert, but what the experts were saying is that he did. They claim to have uh, conversations, uh, written communications, identifying that he was intending to do this. Um, and as you say, 40 days? 40 days for fixing the outcome of a tournament? It seems very, very lenient. Does that mean that they they don't have these communications that they claim they have? Because um, in my opinion, there's got to be a lot of doubt involved if 40 days is a sentence for effectively fixing a tournament, I, I really would agree with you on this one, that you either ban these guys for life or you ban them for a minimum of five years, which effectively is the end of their career anyway. Um, there really is no place in sport for match fixing of this sort. It's, it's, it's a weird situation for me because... On one hand, the, the sentence just seems so lenient that I'm, I'm not convinced that they have the evidence. But on the other hand, you know, the, there's no smoke without fire. So it, it's definitely an interesting situation. Um, be interested to hear what you think. Well, the Federation says there's a reason to believe the players were involved in illicit behavior. You know, if they had the communications, you suspend them for life and get it over with. This isn't the first time... Tennis players were suspended for life for fixing matches. That kid from Austria got uh, booted. David Savage, I remember him, he got booted. And the kid from Russia, Kumatsov, was it Kumatsov? Something like that. He got booted too. So for life. So you have to wonder, you know, they, they say it's illicit behavior, so they, they probably know that these guys were up to something. You know, I, I've been told that it's easy to tell if someone's fixing a match. Like anyone could figure it out. And this is from someone with no tennis background at all. And I can tell you, having a tennis background, a real one actually, and uh, listening to others who have real tennis backgrounds, that it's almost impossible to tell. But they go by betting patterns. And usually, now, under most cases, I would think that Bracciali should have, uh, or Storacci probably should have won against Pablo Andahar. The fact that he lost 6-1, 6-2, it could be a lot of things, but if they have the communications, then it should be a cut-and-dry lifetime suspension, not a 40-day suspension. So you have to wonder sometimes what's going on there. But maybe this is part of a bigger thing. Maybe they made a deal. Maybe they ratted on somebody. You never know. And uh, it is what it is. Now, Starachi hasn't played since last year. 
and he probably won't play again. I, I wouldn't let him. But the, the prosecuting attorney, Roberto DiMartini, told the AP last year that Bracciali partially admitted to fixing matches when he was uh, being interrogated by investigators. So you have to wonder. But under no circumstances. Now, we can go to American baseball, for example. Pete Rose was found guilty of betting on baseball. And he's been banned for life from the sport. He can't even get in the Hall of Fame. And he's the all-time leading hits leader, which is a big thing. And if they're going to do that, and they never were able to prove that he fixed matches, but only that he bet on matches that involved teams that he was managing at the time, how much more should someone be suspended forever for purposely throwing a match and no one's going to do that for free, so he probably got paid for it. How much more important is that? And how much more illicit can it be? Either he did, or they did, or they didn't. To suspend them for 40 days for innuendo, that's not fair either, is it? No. Um, you know, we're talking about different degrees of um, punishment, I suppose, but... At the end of the day, what is the worst you can do? Can you find these guys? Do you find them based upon what they were supposedly paid? How do you know if they have been paid? Um, you know, we suspect that they, that they will be. They've high high suspicion that you know these guys are picking up fairly big paychecks for fixing matches. Assuming they are, um, what do you do? I mean, do you just ban them for life and try to erase the fact that they blighted the sport in some way or you know it, it's a tough call um obviously in the short term that the best thing is to try and move on try and keep them out of the headlines try and keep the focus on the good things in the sport but i don't know it's it, it's a real difficult one to call it's not difficult for me if they did it they should be gone for life. If they didn't, why suspend them at all? I don't get it. A little slap on the wrist or purposely throw in a match? Something happened. There's a lot of smoke there for it not to have a fire somewhere. I hope that these guys uh, are innocent of it, and I hope that they're wrongly suspended for 40 days because that's not too much. But uh, if they're guilty, they got to be gone. You have to make examples out of these guys because what's to stop the next guy? If, if I know I'm only going to get 40 days, I guarantee you they're making money off that. No one's going to fix a match for free. and No one's that stupid. No one's going to risk their entire career for free, Craig, are they? No, and uh, you tend to find that there's reasons why they're risking their career. Most of them are, are down to finances. Obviously, the lower levels of the tour, Challenger, Futures, etc., offer a lot less lucrative awards. Even for successful players, um, there's a lot of you know, communication out there saying that it's impossible to stay on the tour unless you're self-financed or you have some big sponsor, etc., etc. So it's clear that nobody's risking careers for free. There's definitely uh, People looking to exploit the system and find a way to make a lot more money than they can earn through their ability. And uh, I think, you know, it's always going to be a problem until until they start banning people for life. Unless you set a precedent, 
there's always people going to take the chance, especially if you're only getting a 40-day fine. What's to stop guys taking a you know 40 days out and doing it again? It's uh, it's not a nice situation. It's not something that's nice to think about, but uh, it happens. Yeah, it sure does. And speaking of ruining a career, Bob Hewitt, Jeepers, I don't even know what to say about this. You know, I, I've met him and been around him many times. I would never have thought that he he uh, molested his or sexually abused his students the way they claim that he did. And he's been kicked out of the Hall of Fame, or I should say indefinitely suspended, but this is bad. Now, he denies it, of course, and there's a trial going on in Johannesburg right now for this, but uh, wow. I, I mean, it, it's kind of sad because this is a guy a lot of people, including me, looked up to. And, and to see these types of things, man, I don't even know what to say. And, and of course, we have to make sure to um, buttress this with the fact that he's innocent until proven guilty. But boy, there's sure a lot of smoke here. I'll tell you that. I, I don't like any of it. I don't like any of that sort of thing. You know, I took a stand against that a few years ago and basically got destroyed for it. But there's no place in it. Craig, there's no place in our profession for, uh, and when I mean our, the teaching profession, to involve yourself with minor students. In fact, it's probably not a good idea to involve yourself with any students. I remember Poncho Gonzalez told me once, he says, you, you put yourself into that position, you're going to lose money. <laughs> and and, and that, that kind of appealed to me. He goes, the difference between amateurs and professionals, amateurs know how to keep their shorts up above their uh, – well, I can't say what he said, but uh, private part, remember. And the amateurs don't know how to lift their shorts up. What do you think about all this? Um, yeah, as you said, it's a difficult situation because at the minute there's a trial going on. And, you know, on the show and in life, we go with innocent until proven guilty. So we need to consider all the evidence or the judge, jury, etc. over in Johannesburg, South Africa, need to look through all the evidence, see how it stacks up. Um, this is, you know, almost a continuation for me of a lot of the um, similar cases in the British media over the last year or so. A lot of um, famous media personalities, older personalities have been in a similar situation. I, I can draw ties to that it doesn't look good for Hewitt a lot of the, the things being reported in the press are very unsavory a lot of the comments he made are, are not particularly nice they, they don't read well on paper um, my feeling at the minute though is uh, you know sit on the fence let's see what the, the judge and uh, the people in the courts can come up with can they prove these claims that have been made against Bob Hewitt, certainly at the moment it's not looking good for him. Um, I think it's been a wise move by the International Tennis Hall of Fame to indefinitely suspend him pending the results of this allegation. Well, I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> I mean, what if he's innocent? You've taught, you, you know, his, his reputation has been tarnished forever either way. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a bad thing all around. Now, he claims that one of the uh, victim's mom supported her him, that he didn't do anything to her daughter because he had no opportunity to do so. 
And he claims he never got her from school, and he said he didn't even know where she went to school. And he denies raping some of the, these girls, and he denies inappropriately enforcing one young lady to uh, perform moral sex on him back in 1981. There are a lot of people who know this guy, Craig, better than I do, who are completely stunned by it. And I think that's just the way I think, yeah, because you don't expect that's, that's something that you don't expect to think about when you think about one of your uh, associates as a child molester. That's I don't think there's anything worse than that. I, I, I think that there's nothing worse in this profession than someone who abuses their students, no matter how you slice it. That type of person should be banished for life, should probably be incarcerated for life if that's the case because there's no place in society for that. You know, If you are willing to abuse a child, I mean, you'll go and do just about anything. And, and it's very sad. And to be honest with you, I'm glad that people didn't take the law into their own hands because in some societies, Mr. Hewitt wouldn't be around to testify in his own behalf. So I guess there's some some silver lining in this, but man, if he's found guilty of this, and of course it's a he said, she said, he's always going to have the people who think that he's innocent, and he's always going to have the people who think he's guilty, and then he's going to have the court of public opinion as well. And, and from where I'm sitting, I don't know what he did or didn't do, and I'm not going to accuse him of anything. And if he's found guilty, you know, he's 75, that's pretty much it. All I can say is that a glorious, well-done career was destroyed because if it's true, of course, this person had no self-control and this person didn't belong in our profession anyway. That's what I have to say, Craig. I tell you, it's, it's a hard thing. And we'll talk about this other thing next week because we've run out of time, my friend. Thank you for being on the show with me. I'm delighted to be here, and I uh, will look forward to the discussion next week. Oh, about, next week, uh, yeah. Mr. Georgi. Yeah, we'll get to get that one little fella from Canada all excited because we're talking about his very pet project. Anyway, Craig, good stuff today. Thanks for being on the show with me. No problem. You're welcome. All right, that was Craig Doyle, and you can find him over at CraigDoylePhotography.com, and that's going to wrap it up for this week's edition of This Week in Tennis. You can catch us every single day at Max Sports Channels and at the 405 Media, the talk alternative. If you'd like to bring This Week in Tennis to your radio show, or radio station, I should say, you can contact me. My email is phil at philnasonsshow.com. Until next week, he's Craig Doyle. I'm Phil Nasons. And you've just listened to This Week in Tennis.